Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker. Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we are one day closer to water balloon toss. Actually, I think that's going on right now, come to think of it. It is water balloon toss time at the revamped Pro Bowl games, ladies and gentlemen. Why do I bring that up? Well, we got a couple of Jaguars that are out there. Jamal Agnew, Trevor Lawrence representing the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're going to play water balloon toss. They're going to play some dodgeball. They're going to get after it. Um, it's a This is a joke. Uh, look, the game was bad enough, <laughs> but I'm watching guys throw water balloons at each other. Uh, literally water balloons. But nevertheless, the Jaguars are out there with Lawrence and Agnew. So we will discuss it tonight on Hacker After Dark. In fact, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a big topic of conversation here coming up in a matter of moments. The guest lineup looks like this tonight on a Thursday, the second day of February. Happy Groundhog Day to all those who celebrate. Apparently, Punxsutawney Phil did indeed see his shadow this morning, which means six more weeks of winter, so they say. So we have that going for us here on a Thursday evening. We'll go to Kansas City coming up in about 20 minutes. Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 and the Kansas City Sports Network. The Chiefs back on the practice field today, 10 days before Super Bowl 57. We'll get the Kansas City perspective on what transpired last week in the AFC title game and look ahead to the matchup with Philadelphia coming up a week from Sunday. Coming up around 9 o'clock, we will go to the state capitol. Kurt Weiler of the Osceola, that is the Florida State Rivals website. We will talk about the Seminole football schedule that came out earlier this week, and we'll take a brief look ahead, a very early look ahead, to what the Seminoles may have. It's when spring practice rolls around here in about six weeks. I can tell you right now, there's a lot of people, a lot of people, locally, regionally, and nationally that think Florida State may be a surprise playoff team this year with what they have returning. We'll talk about that with Kurt Weiler coming up about an hour from now. At the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, we will go to the Big Apple. Andy Vesquez of the Star Ledger at NJ.com. He covers the New York football Jets. Nathaniel Hackett, the former Jaguar offensive coordinator, now with the Jets as their brand-new offensive coordinator. What does that mean regarding Aaron Rodgers this offseason? Some interesting thoughts coming up from Andy Vasquez, who covers the Jets, that at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, and in about, uh, oh, 35 minutes or so, Lane Swafford, edge pass rusher, Panavidra High School, turned down scholarship offers from Division I programs like Marshall, to take yesterday a preferred walk-on offer to the University of Florida. So we'll have Lane here on Hacker After Dark to talk Billy Napier, to talk 
about the Florida Gators and what led him to say no thank you to scholarship offers from the likes of Marshall, Tennessee Martin, and more, and to say yes to a preferred walk-on offer with the Florida Gators. But as we always do, to kick it off on Hacker After Dark, we have a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Defense into Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No, because it is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, so back to Trevor Lawrence. Here's my thoughts. And I was thinking about this a little bit earlier this week, but I'm going to expand it a little bit to the world of social media. Um, The Jaguars, you may know this being a fan of the Jaguars, well, they were awful for 14 of the previous 15 years before this season. They were terrible. They've been awful, and they've been very awful. It just depends on your level of awfulness from basically 2008 to 2021 with the obvious exception of 2017. That is now apparently in the rearview mirror as Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence and all the guys they brought in. The skies have parted, and it looks like the Jaguars' arrow is going to be pointing up now for quite some time. But as I'm watching the Pro Bowl coverage tonight, and as I'm thinking about Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, even Facebook, The Jaguars were so bad for so long that Trevor Lawrence is probably the first quote-unquote superstar the Jaguars have had in the social media era. Think about it. When did Facebook really get big, right? 06, 07. When did Twitter really get big? Probably 2010-ish, 2011. Jaguars have been awful. For almost the entire time of Facebook and Twitter's tenure, they were awful the entire time of Instagram and TikTok and basically any other social media platform aside from MySpace that you can imagine. So back in the early to mid-90s, in the late 90s, when the Jaguars had superstars like Mark Brunell, Jimmy Smith, Fred Taylor, Tony Baselli, Keenan McCardell, etc., They were superstars in the city of Jacksonville. They might have been superstars in the AFC Central. But were they nationally known people, nationally known? If you go ask some random football fan in Albuquerque, New Mexico in 1997, who is Jimmy Smith, would they have known that? I don't know. They probably would have known Tony Baselli, probably. But again, that's an offensive tackle. Nothing against the O-line. The guy's a Hall of Famer, for crying out loud. But when I'm talking about mega superstars, you got to be talking about your quarterbacks, your running backs, your wide receivers. So when Facebook came around, when Twitter came around, when Instagram and TikTok and all these various entities came around, which have just blown sports up more and more and more with podcasts and videos and wall-to-wall coverage, the 24-hour news cycle. Like I said, that was in the mid to late 2000s when the Jaguars were awful, just awful. They didn't have a superstar then. Even the 2017 team, right? Blake Bortles was not a superstar. Leonard Fournette, Allen Robinson, 
were not superstars. Jalen Ramsey probably was. I'll give you that one. Jalen Ramsey probably was. But even Jalen Ramsey in 2017 was clearly not what Jalen Ramsey was with the Rams last year or what he was with the Rams in 2020. So I don't even know if Jalen Ramsey would qualify for this. But fast forward to where we are now. When you say the name Jacksonville Jaguars anywhere in this country, any sports radio station, any sports website, any sports podcast, you say Jacksonville Jaguars, you automatically think of Trevor Lawrence. He is the guy, locally, regionally, and nationally, which is pretty impressive because, again, he's only played 36 games in a Jaguar uniform, right? 17 games as a rookie, 19 games this year, including the postseason. Let me do my Wolfson math on that. Yeah, that's 36 games. A relatively short amount of time, a relatively short sample size for a career. Yet there is no question. This is his organization. This is his franchise. Whenever the Jaguars are talked about on Twitter, on Instagram, TikTok, any of those other social media things that I have no idea what they are. It's all Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars, or the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence. It's kind of cool in a way that he is their first bona fide superstar, which brings me back locally to you guys, the Jaguar fan base here in the city of Jacksonville. Again, only 36 games that Trevor Lawrence has played. Some of you were not even sold on Trevor Lawrence, and I'm not going to throw stones in a glass house. I wasn't sold on Trevor Lawrence in early October. You know, we're talking four months ago. I wasn't sold on the guy. Sold on him now. He did enough to show me over the last nine, ten weeks of the year that, yeah, we got a stud at quarterback. We got one of the guys in the league at quarterback. So from a popularity standpoint, here in the city of Jacksonville, How high is Trevor Lawrence already in just two years? Is Trevor Lawrence already more popular than a Keenan McCardell was, than a Mark Brunel was? That's probably a generational question. Denmark, the pride of Denmark in there. Look, you're about to turn 25. When's your birthday? Tomorrow? Indeed. Yeah, happy early birthday. Thank you. You didn't think I'd remember that, did you? No, I... No, no, 50-50. 25 years old for Denmark tomorrow. Ladies, he's single and ready to mingle. There is no question about that. I may or may not be at the beach bars tomorrow. Well, there you go. There you go. Denmark's at the beach bars. Buy him a shot on yours truly. But you don't really remember Mark Brunel, do you? Me? Yeah. No. Of course not. Absolutely not. You don't remember, really, Jimmy Smith. and Tony. You don't, obviously don't remember Tony Baselli. The first team I remember watching was when MJD and Fred Taylor were like the two studs going back and forth. Yeah, which was probably 08. It was like 07. 07, yeah. yeah. They made the playoffs in 07. I guess that makes sense. Was Taylor here in 07? Yes. Yeah, that must have been the very – yeah, I guess he was here. He went to New England soon after that. But that's the point, right? It's that Mark Brunell, as great as he was – I mean, for crying out loud, he hasn't played a game in a Jaguar uniform in two-plus decades. Same thing with Tony Baselli. 
Jimmy Smith hasn't played a Jaguar game in 18 years. You forget, I guess, how popular they were, but even take that into account. At the absolute height of Mark Brunel's popularity in 1996 and in 1999, is it where Trevor Lawrence was three weeks ago? Probably not. And a lot of that has to do with the evolution of sports radio. A lot of that has to do with the evolution of social media. Trevor Lawrence is the first bona fide superstar the Jaguar organization has had in this 24-hour news cycle. 641-1010 on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Maybe I'm overstating how popular I believe Trevor Lawrence is. But is there an argument to be made that Trevor is already top five most popular Jaguars ever? I mean, look, Baselli, he's the only Hall of Famer in team history, all right? Obviously, Tony Baselli. I'm a little biased there. Baselli's a friend, certainly. But when you're in Canton, Ohio, and you're the only guy from said organization in Canton, Ohio, it's hard to think anybody would be more popular than that, at least right now. Fred Taylor, a lot of that's a Florida thing too, I think. And I love Fred. But if Fred Taylor played at North Carolina State and then came here to Jacksonville under the same career as a Jaguar, would he still be as revered as he is now? I don't know. I think if you're a Gator and a Jaguar, you still put Fred Taylor on that mantle because he played at Florida and then obviously came to Jacksonville. If Fred Taylor was a Cal Golden Bear and then came to the Jaguars and the same career here, I don't know if he would still be talked about as he is right now. Great player. But the fact that he's a local guy from the state, played at Florida, and then came out to Jacksonville to have a ridiculous career, and he also should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way, that might be why he is still where he is. Is Trevor Lawrence more popular than Jimmy Smith? That's an interesting one, too. Because Jimmy, in the early 2000s, there were a ton of 82 jerseys at that stadium. Fans here loved Jimmy Smith. Fans still love Jimmy Smith. But Jimmy was in a day and age of Jaguar football where I don't even think Sunday Ticket was around yet. Certainly the Red Zone channel wasn't around. Social media wasn't around. It was a different time when Jimmy Smith was doing his thing here in Jacksonville. And then you got like the unsung heroes, right? Like John Yurkovic to me is always one of the most popular Jaguars. I loved yakking with Yurko on Monday nights with Dan Hicken when they did the, with the Jaguar live show way back in the day. Of course, we had number 99, Joel Schmengi and the popularity of him. Donovan Darius and Tony Brackens and Kevin Hardy and Aaron Beasley. And there are a lot of guys you can name, but I don't think any of those guys are where Trevor Lawrence already is in this city and certainly in the national thought only 36 games in to his Jaguar and NFL career. Where does Trevor rank for you Jaguar fans? And popular is is an opinion, right? Whatever definition you want to use of popular. I mean, I don't want to say the best because he's clearly not the best yet. Brunel's numbers are vastly superior because Brunel played a lot longer. 
I mean, look, Bortles' numbers, Gerard's numbers are all better than Trevor's because Trevor's only been here two years. So it's hard to say better because statistically he's not better. So that's why I'm using the term popular. From a popularity point of view, when you talk to your friends, you talk to your family, you talk to your coworkers, in today's day and age of social media and the 24-hour news cycle, where is Trevor Lawrence in the popularity compared to former great Jaguars of the past? More on that coming up tonight here on Hacker After Dark. It is a Thursday evening, and we are glad you are with us. We are 10 days away from Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona. The NFC champion, Philadelphia Eagles. The AFC champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Let's go to Kansas City, Missouri. Jed Marshall of Sports Radio 610 and the Kansas City Sports Network. Chiefs back on the practice field today. Let's talk Mahomes. Let's talk Andy Reid. Let's talk winning another AFC championship. And let's look ahead to Super Bowl 57. We'll go to Kansas City. Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610, is next on Hacker After Dark. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 57, a week from Sunday, it'll be the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. For the third time in four years, the Chiefs back in the Super Bowl. It's the Andy Reid Bowl. It's the Kelsey Brothers Bowl. There's a lot of storylines, certainly, that'll pick up next week. Before we get there, let's take a quick look back at the AFC Championship game with our friend Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. He's also a part of the KC Sports Network. Jed, how we doing, man? Hey, Ryan. I'm doing well. How are you, my friend? Jed, we're good. Uh, boy, what a game. Last Sunday, Kansas City wins it in dramatic fashion. All the uh, talking Cincinnati did leading up to the game obviously was on the minds of the KC players as they kind of let loose afterwards. What's been the reaction in the days since of Kansas City winning that game last Sunday? Well, I think it's euphoria and a lot of relief. I mean, I think that everybody here in Kansas City expected going in that they knew it was going to be a dogfight and that Cincinnati is, or at least had been, you know, the arch nemesis for the Chiefs. But to me, the, the fact that they were able to persevere and, you know, go through as many injuries, and I know that Cincinnati was playing down. I don't want to, you know, not not acknowledge that. But to me, I think that's the biggest takeaway. I think people are really relieved. I know I texted my wife when we were, doing the game and getting ready for post game that I, I mentioned that I, I thought the chiefs had given away the game, but for them to come back. And like I, I mentioned, just persevere with all of the injuries that they went through. I mean, they were playing basically with two tight ends and their fourth string wide receiver at one point. And I think it just shows how good of a coach and how good of an operation that, uh, Andy Reid and Brett Beach have put together here in Kansas City. You know, I can't believe I'm even asking this question. It sounds stupid, but, I mean, you you talk about coach of the year, right? And we never talk mm -hmm. about Andy Reid. It's like we take the guy for granted just how unbelievably good he is. 14 years in Philly, now 10 years in Kansas City, going to another Super Bowl. I mean, talk about the job, Jed, that Andy Reid did with that team this year. Well, He's unbelievable, and as I mentioned previously, like the guy who I don't think gets enough credit is Brett Beach for putting together the roster. I mentioned that they were playing down so depleted. 
that's not even to mention that they were playing without Legereus Sneed and stuff like that. And it's hard to believe when you mentioned 10 years here in Kansas City. It certainly doesn't seem like Andy Reid has been here 10 years, but all he's really done is win. And he's done it in different ways. And I think it's showed you you can argue about who the greatest coach of all time is. I think we'd all say that it's Bill Belichick. But when you saw what Andy Reid was able to do with Alex Smith even and make it such a high-powered offense, and then once you give him the quarterback, I think you see just how great Andy Reid is. But again, I think a lot of credit goes not only to Andy Reid, but to Brett Beach, a guy who I thought it was interesting when they were, I don't know if you watched the uh, the trophy presentation, but he wasn't even you know, on stage, he was off to the, to the far right and, you know, not taking any credit. And it was, it was definitely great for the Hunt family and for Andy to, you know, receive the trophy. But I, I feel like the under talked about person would be Brett Veach and the roster that he's constructed. Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. He's also a part of the KC Sports Network. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Patrick Mahomes, Jed, going back to another Super Bowl, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, two hard-fought games. They beat Trevor Lawrence and us here in Jacksonville. They beat Joe Burrow. I mean, you got to compete with Justin Herbert in that division out there. We know about Josh Allen and the battles Mahomes has had there. Is there special meaning to this one, maybe more so than the others, knowing that some of the young guns were trying to take the mantle away and once again Patrick Mahomes proved to be the best this year? I think it's more just a validation of what Patrick Mahomes is. I know last time when I was on with you, unfortunately, we were talking about a Jags loss. Unfortunately for the people here in Kansas City, a Chiefs win. But just how the media, and we're all guilty of it ourselves, unfortunately here in Kansas City, we have a much different perspective because we get to watch Mahomes game in, game out. But just the idea that that there's the next it guy, and I guess as I mentioned previously the one guy who's been a constant has been Patrick Mahomes so I feel like it was more validation and you know just finally people recognizing that if you look at Mahomes since he's taken over as the starter I know he had the one game as rookie year which he did end up winning but if you look at the the start of his career name anybody you can look at all of the accolades that many of the people have put up but Burrow no Super Bowl wins. Josh Allen, no MVPs. Lamar Jackson has an MVP, but very little playoff success. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence just getting going. Justin Herbert. You know, there, there are many great quarterbacks around the league, but no one can say that they've done what Patrick Mahomes has done. And to me, I it's, it's just so special, I guess, in the sense that it, it made it more meaningful because he was playing down, as I mentioned, so many people on his squad, but he also was playing banged up. And for him to go out and have a gutty performance, I mean, I think he showed why he's the most valuable player in the league, at least in this last week. Jed, the thought, at least outside Kansas City, I know the thought here in Jacksonville is when Tyreek Hill was traded that maybe not call it a rebuild, but it, it wouldn't be the Chiefs of old. And, and it hasn't been. The offense has been different. But the fact that they're going back to the Super Bowl the year after trading Tyreek Hill, does that even surprise some people out there? Um, I, I don't know if it surprises people. I think it's as long as you have Travis Kelsey, you're going to be in a good spot, and obviously Patrick Mahomes as well. But, no, I wouldn't say it surprises people. I think maybe because the conversation was is what's the Chiefs' offense going to look like without Tyreek Hill? But still, you put together Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid. Those are three pretty good starting points. 
And I don't know. I mean, if you look at the production you got from the different receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster, while in a contract year, wasn't, you know, like a, a number one, number one, but he still was productive. They played without McCole Hardman for a majority of the year. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, while not necessarily a guy who's going to, you know, blow you away, is still a big play threat. And you saw that he stepped up this past week. So, to me, I I don't know if the Tyreek Hill, I know nationally it was more of a big deal, but at least from a Kansas City perspective, when you have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, I, I think that you recognize your offense is going to be pretty dynamic. And I think the other thing that's been really interesting is that Andy has kind of evolved in what he's done. He's always been very pass-centric. And I think if he and Mahomes had their laurels, they would throw the ball 100 times a game. But they're actually recognizing that while maybe not the flashiest names, but the backfield has been surprisingly productive with Jarek McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco. And they've played again also the majority of the year without a first-round pick they use on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So I, I think it just speaks again to to the greatness of how, you know, like dynamic a play caller Andy Reid is and just how brilliant a quarterback Andy or excuse me, Patrick Mahomes is as well. Couple of more for Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jed, we're uh, over a week away from the Super Bowl, but my goodness, with what Philadelphia has done this year, what Kansas City has done this year, a collision course out there in Glendale, Arizona, what is the early thought in the Kansas City area about Super Bowl 57? I guess the early thought would be that um, we're all very interested to see what the health is of the team. I mentioned a lot of different injuries, but, you know, to me, I, I think that people are confident. I mentioned the roster construction of the Chiefs and how great of a job Brett Veach and Andy Reid have done. Look at what Howie Roseman and, and Jeffrey Lurie have done there in Philadelphia. I mean, you can say that Mahomes is the best quarterback, but if you look two through 53, I think that the Eagles might be the best team in football, you know, outside of Jalen Hurts, who's having an MVP caliber season. So I think that people are, are obviously excited, but they're also nervous and we're still early enough that there's so much information that comes out, hopefully with what, 10 days now guys are able to get healthy and as close to hundred percent as they can be, but again, playing 19 games, that's going to be tough. So I think that people look at, at the Eagles as, a heck of a matchup and that they're going to be a formidable opponent. But I also think that people are confident and it's hard not to be when you go into the game, having the better quarterback and not to take anything away from Nick Sirianni, but you know, he was on Andy Reid's staff. So I think that Andy Reid will have a pretty good idea. People have always talked about Andy Reid coming off a bye. This is essentially a bye week. So I, I think people are confident, but I, I wouldn't, put money on the game and I know that the I think the Chiefs opened at two point favorites and then all of the money kind of rushed in on on Philly so I haven't looked at the number today but I I know I I'm expecting it to be a field goal game Jed as we begin to wrap up the Chiefs don't play for another week week and a half or so but the AFC West has had some interesting news come out in the last 24 hours or so Kellen Moore the former Dallas Offensive coordinator heading out to L.A. to team up with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. And then, of course, Sean Payton announced as the brand-new head coach there of the Denver Broncos. He's a guy that covers Kansas City and covers that division. Either of those moves, Kellen Moore to L.A. or Sean Payton to Denver, stick out to you moving forward? 
Um, I'm more interested to see what Sean Payton does with Denver because Russell Wilson was arguably one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL last year. I know that he's a very talented guy. They also have a very good roster. But being out of the game for a little while, I'm maybe that recharged his batteries and stuff like that. But I'm interested to, to see how that works out. And in, in addition, that they're going to have to give up draft pick compensation. But the Kellen Moore one actually kind of stands out to me as well because he's a very regarded as a very good play caller. I know he's an intelligent guy. One of the guys who does our midday show used to work in Boise and covered Kellen when he was there as a player and so forth. But I think that if you actually match him up with Justin Herbert, a guy who by all accounts has all of the intangibles and all of the talent that that scares me. I think that this year it might've been a little bit premature for everyone to be talking about the AFC West as the most formidable conference in, you know, the NFL. But I think next year with the coaching changes, and of course things are fluid, we'll see what happens with the draft and everything in the off season. But I think that next year it actually could be the best conference in the NFL or excuse me, the best division. Yeah. Best division. No question about it. Jed final question. And I think we're contractually obligated to ask every NFL guest this week about Tom Brady. Uh, it looks like it's uh, for real this time. He announces his retirement uh, via his social media. Uh, you actually have an interesting take on that because you're a Michigan man uh, yourself. But, but but your thoughts on Tom Brady, obviously he and Mahomes separated by, what, 17, 18 years of age, yet they mm-hmm. had some memorable battles even now at, at their in their careers moving forward. Uh, but when you reflect back on Tom Brady, just a quick thought on on what he meant to the game. Tom Brady obviously will go down as the greatest quarterback, and rightly so. Unfortunately, from a Kansas City perspective, the fact that he got the better of Mahomes in two of the biggest games that they played is always going to be a little bit of a sore spot. You would, you obviously, as a Chiefs guy, would cheer for Mahomes to finally, you know, get the one up on him. But that's not going to happen. It doesn't seem like. But at least for me, as I mentioned, Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. From my perspective as a lifelong Michigan fan and loving that university probably more than anything that I have to cover now, I'm always frustrated with Tom Brady, and I know that Michigan fans will think that this is blasphemous. But you couldn't beat out Drew Henson when you were there, and maybe Lloyd Carr was the idiot because he didn't put him in. But where are my four national championships? Where are the four Heismans? If you're the greatest, you couldn't beat out a guy who ended up, you know, not being that good and could have played baseball. What the hell, man? I don't know. I Tom Brady is – there's just been too much of him, and I hope at this point that we really do see him ride off into the sunset and then go and take the Fox job and not be very good. And then, really, he recognizes that he has more money than anybody, and then he just goes away forever. <laughs> Well, there you go. Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City, also a part of the KC Sports Network. Jed, know you're busy with the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl, man. Thank you for taking time out for us. We'll talk again soon, and best of luck to Kansas City out there at Super Bowl 57. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you, Ryan. You're the best. Anytime. There you go. Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. Ten days away. Super Bowl 57, Kansas City and Philadelphia. Of course, the storylines will really pick up beginning Sunday and Monday when both teams make their way out to Glendale, Arizona. We got a uh, River City Rumble 
going on right now on the campus of Jacksonville University. My beloved alma mater, the UNF Ospreys, have been leading this game pretty much from the start. JU trying to make a late run, five minutes to go. They're at JU. The Ospreys lead the Dolphins 63-56. We will keep you updated. It's a game UNF needs, no question about that. This series has gotten away from them a little bit as of late. There was a time where UNF was kind of controlling this series. UNF just scores there to go up nine. JU beginning to run out of time. UNF up nine, four and a half to go. River City Rumble part one. We will keep you updated. A cool story here on the high school ranks. Yesterday was National Signing Day, the February portion. It's not all about the five-star, you know, top 100 players in the country. How about this story? Out of Ponteveter High School, Lane Swafford, an edge pass rusher, was committed to Marshall, was going to get a scholarship from the Marshall Thundering Herd. Nothing to sneeze at. Marshall goes into Notre Dame last year and beats the Irish. Remember that? I mean, Marshall is a good school. Lane said, thanks, but no thanks. Turned down a scholarship offer from Marshall, a scholarship offer from a couple other D1 schools to take a preferred walk-on role down with Billy Napier and the Florida Gators. I had a chance to talk with Lane Swafford earlier today of Pontevedra, and you'll hear that conversation next. It is a Thursday night in the city of Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us here on Hacker After Dark. One of the newest Florida Gators, Lane Swafford of Pontevedra High School, next here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now, hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. National Signing Day yesterday in the month of February. A lot of local commitments here in the Northeast Florida area. And one cool story out in St. John's County. Let's talk to a young man who had offers, scholarship offers from Division I programs, yet he has decided to take a preferred walk-on down to join Billy Napier and the University of Florida. Let's go to Pontevedra High School, Lane Swafford of the Pontevedra Sharks. Lane, thank you for the time, man. How are you? For sure. Yes, sir. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Lane, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And all right, I think it's a very cool story. I want you to explain it. You were committed to Marshall, and look, Marshall's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, they went in to South Bend and beat Notre Dame last year. That's a good program. So you had Division One offers, Marshall, Tennessee Martin, a few others, yet you decided that you wanted to go to the University of Florida, and you're bypassing those scholarships to take a preferred walk-on. What went into that decision for you? Yes, sir. Well, um, all it was all everything's all good with Marshall. It was it was great. It was an amazing opportunity. Obviously, my dad had previously went there, um, so it was it was great. Um, so how it really how it really happened was I committed after I believe it was our third game of my senior season. I committed uh, to Marshall University, and then throughout my season, once I got to about the end of our season, the last maybe <laughs> the last three games. Um, Lamar Sorley, um, the offensive quality control at UF, he, he had texted me and told me that they were interested with me and wanted to keep in contact with me. And all throughout, once I got into the offseason, throughout my recruitment, I started um, – because that's, that's a dream, man, like to go play big boy football, go play that 
that go be a Gator. That's that's a dream, especially growing up in Florida. So um, the more, the further along my process got, the more I stayed in contact with UF. And I went down there once for a, a game, just a regular season game, watched the atmosphere was amazing. The people were amazing. Oh, uh, just sitting there uh, in that field as the whole crowd going electric, they're up, everybody's dancing, cheering. It, it, it was awesome. And then, then I had set up another visit to um, go just visit the campus, tour, and, and I had done that. Once I stepped, second I stepped on the campus, I mean, the, the staff was amazing. That I told, because Coach Napier, when I had my meeting with him, he asked me what pulled me to UF, and I told him it was the people from the everybody really just just there no bs everything is just love they want to see you grow and that's not to say that's not in marshall or anywhere else but the people at uf were just i'd never seen it it was unreal and then just obviously you have the fact that it is i'm getting that that education that was the biggest thing for me personally and something that my parents were very happy about um and then just just the football aspect of it just to be able to go to the highest level to compete and prove myself and, and better better myself as an athlete, not only as an athlete, but as a student, as a man. So, it's a- You know, Lane, you've mentioned Billy Napier. Again, Lane Swafford here with us. He's taking a PWO at the University of Florida. You mentioned Billy Napier. A lot of Gator fans have seen him at press conferences, right, or seen him maybe speak at a, a Gator club, but they haven't gotten the personal interaction with Coach Napier that you have gotten. For Gator fans listening tonight, Lane, tell them about Billy Napier. What do you like about him? What type of guy is he? Coach Napier, man, he's – when I went up there this past weekend, that's the first time I – that's the first time I'd ever spoken with him, been in contact with him at all. And um, from the second I walked in there, sat down, all nerves, all everything, kind of – because as an athlete, you go in there and talk to the head coach and – you see them as even even nowadays, some of the head coaches, it's hard to reach them. They're not very personable, man. He he sat down, second shook my hands, shook my parents' hands, sat down, and he's just a good dude, a real, real good dude. And that's what pulled me to want to go play for him, man. He's, he sat down. Him and my mom were just sitting there talking about um, the churches on campus because that's something really important to me was my, is my faith. And, and he was just sitting there chopping up with my mom about church him and his family go to – um, best places to go on campus, all these things. And, and he's just a real personable, real good dude in, in every aspect. Of, you know, of for, a great for, man. and for people that don't know, I, I assume most people do, but for people that don't, a preferred walk-on is a technically a walk-on, but that preferred word is the key word there because there's a lot of preferred walk-ons, Lane, that one day do get on scholarship. Obviously, that's the goal for you. As far as when you get to Gainesville, when you start – uh, practicing with the team coming up in early to mid-May. Uh, what is Coach Napier, the staff, what have they said the plan for you is? Are you going to remain as an edge rusher like you were at Ponte Vedra? Are they going to move you around a little bit? What's the plan there? Yeah, so, so right now when I, while I've been talking to the coaches and everything, the, the idea of the plan is to preferably play that edge position. They do have um, two different positions, one hand in the dirt, um, defensive end that can play a little bit of that inside and also a um, that then they have the edge guy who's still handing the dirt but he can go play that a little bit of that linebacker the only difference is being able to play inside or putting you inside 
But that edge position is what I've been, what they've been talking to me about playing, looking at me playing. It's all about just what what I look like when I get on campus, though, where I fit the defense once I'm really in pads, in season, working. You know, I don't know if you know Pyburn from Bowles last year, Sharif Denson there in St. John's County at Bartram Trail, Rod Kearney at Orange Park. I mean, there's a lot of Northeast Florida guys that are already in Gainesville and that are going to Gainesville uh, this year. That must make you feel pretty good that you're going to have a lot in common with a lot of guys once you arrive down there. Yes, sir, especially having where um, when you first get on, you're nervous about who you're going to know, who you're going to see. Being around those guys since we've all been in high school, I mean, it's going to be – that's definitely a, a good thing to have people from your area going to the same spot. It's also good for the area to have this many athletes and people going to the um, – going to a university like that. Final moments here with Lane Swafford of Pontevedra. Obviously, Trayon Webb. I don't want to forget Trayon Webb. That was a big one as well for the Gators, the running back out of Trinity Christian. Lane, I can hear the excitement in your voice, man. And, and this just happened yesterday. It became official. But the next time you put on a pair of shoulder pads, you're going to be in Gainesville, Florida, at the football facility of the Florida Gators with the Gator logo on your helmet. I mean, what what does that feel like? I mean, it's <laughs> – Especially growing up in Florida, that's an unimaginable feeling. I mean, just a little bit ago, a couple of years ago, you told me that I wouldn't have believed you. But after, after everything, after all the work, after everything, I mean, it, it's it's just unreal. God blessed me with this opportunity through a lot of faith, a lot of prayer, a lot of a lot of time, truly with God, just listening to Him, following His plan. And now I'm here, so I feel ready, but excited. Just like you said, ecstatic, excited to get out there, have that Gator logo, and, and get going. Hey, Lane, final question. Ponte Vedra High School. What has it meant to you to play as a Shark and be there at Ponte Vedra? Man, it's a completely different type of feeling. That's a true, true brotherhood just growing up. I've been playing with those guys since since Pop Warner, since JDL, a lot of those guys. It's, it's truly you grow up with people you you playing with people you know in your whole life so that that trust when you're on the field all that and, and the coaches as well just good good surrounded by a lot of good people in this community and a, a lot of good athletes as well wayne i know you're fired up man we're fired up for you congratulations love to see good kids from our area make it to big time college football that is exactly what you have done going down to the university of florida best of luck my friend we'll be watching you We'll miss you under the Friday night lights, certainly, but you're on to bigger things down there in Gainesville. Thank you, Lane. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. There you go, Lane Swafford of Ponte Vedra, taking a preferred walk-on spot at the University of Florida. Again, turning down a couple of scholarship offers, including from Marshall, to take that PWO down there with the Florida Gators. Speaking of the Florida Gators, a brand-new Gator Bites podcast. Drop today on 1010XL.com and the Florida Gator 1010XL Facebook page. If you uh, are so inclined, I encourage you to go check it out. Myself and the Chief this week, Graham Marsh. About 36 minutes, Denmark. We got after it on the Gator Bites podcast. By the way, uh, mentioned this last night as it happened, but congratulations to Todd Golden and the Gator basketball team what a huge win. Number two, Tennessee comes into Gainesville and leaves with the L as Florida. Clearly, their signature win in the Todd Golden era to this point. Florida now 13-9, and 6-3 and three 
in the Southeastern Conference. It uh, doesn't get much easier for Florida as they go to Rupp Arena on Saturday night to take on Kentucky. And then, just for the heck of it, they'll go play number four-ranked Alabama in Tuscaloosa next week. So, clearly, a tough two-game stretch coming up, but a big win for Todd Golden and Gator basketball yesterday as they defeat the number two-ranked Tennessee Volunteers. Quickly speaking of college basketball in the River City Rumble, the flag is shining high over the University of North Florida. The Ospreys, a 77-63 win tonight. The W in the River City Rumble. UNF takes out JU, a 14-point win. That's a good win for UNF. That JU basketball team is pretty good. UNF puts it all together tonight. So congratulations to my alma mater. Congratulations to head coach Matthew, Matthew Driscoll and everybody associated with North Florida Osprey basketball as they win the River City Rumble Part 1 tonight, 77-63 over Jacksonville University. And that gives me bragging rights in my own household. I'm a UNF alum. My wife is a JU alum. So the Ospreys over the Dolphins by 14 this evening. One hour down, one hour to go. Jacksonville, we are with you till 10 o'clock here on Hacker After Dark, and we're glad you're with us. You can follow the show by watching it via stream on YouTube. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. We're streaming there until 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, we're streaming there until 10 o'clock tonight at 1010XL on Twitter. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you back into the world of the National Football League. We are 39 days away from NFL free agency. I don't think the Jaguars are going to make a big splash in free agency. But if they were to make a big splash, who's the one player they should target? CBS Sports tonight has their idea. I'll share it with you next on Hacker After Dark. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. They say our love won't pay the rent. Or it's earned our money's always spent. You know, you want a real feel-old statement on a Thursday night? That movie, Groundhog Day, is 30 years old. 30 years old. Still one of my favorites. Bill Murray is the absolute man in that movie. It is hysterical even to this day, despite that it's 30 years old. I read an interesting story. You know, Denmark, I'm always the kind of guy. I like the um, internet movie database, right? The IMDB.com. I'm not sure if you frequent that website. No, I do not, but I know of it. But it gives you, like, trivia for all these movies. You type in your favorite movie over the years and... It has, like, little interesting tidbits about the movie. Well, according to IMDb, all right, I don't have any inside info on this. I'm just going off of what they tell me on the website. Bill Murray was not the number one choice to play that role of Phil Connors in Groundhog Day. The number one choice was Tom Hanks. But it was determined that Tom Hanks was too nice an uh, actor, too nice a guy to play that role. 
They needed somebody a little more uh, rough around the edges, I suppose, which is why Bill Murray got the role, and it goes down as, to me, one of my favorite movies ever. I mean, I'm sure Tom Hanks would have been great, but I can't imagine Groundhog Day without Bill Murray. By the way, uh, speaking of Groundhog Day, that uh, Groundhog there, Punk Satani Phil apparently did see a shadow earlier today. Uh, so that is six more weeks of winter. It doesn't really matter to us very much because it was 85 degrees yesterday here in Jacksonville, Florida. But to our friends up north, that really sucks for you. But that's, of course, why we all live in Jacksonville, Florida. To the Jacksonville Jaguars. Free agency, 39 days away. Monday, March 13th is when it begins. CBSSports.com earlier this evening laid out one key target that all 32 teams should look at in free agency. All right? And some of these are unrealistic. They have Atlanta saying they should look at Lamar Jackson. Well, no kidding. You know, for an example, Green Bay, Jacoby Myers, Detroit, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. You know, you got Denver with Tony Pollard, Dallas, Juju Smith-Schuster, so on and so forth. But as I'm scrolling down and I get to the Jaguars, because I'm always curious with lists like this, who does CBS Sports think the one key target the Jaguars should go after? Now, again, the Jaguars don't have a lot of money, so this is probably in fantasy land. And it's not the sexiest position, but I'll bet you know who this guy is. They say the Jaguars should go after Cincinnati Bengals safety, Jesse Bates. And this is what CBS says. Bates played on the franchise tag this past season, and the guess is that he won't be back with the Bengals in 2023. The Jaguars could save some money by cutting Rayshon Jenkins and then put those savings into signing a new free safety who is younger and an upgrade on paper. Bates turns 26 in February and recorded a career-high four interceptions in 2022. He would help what was statistically the fifth-worst pass defense in the NFL last season. That's interesting. I'm a Rayshon Jenkins guy. I wasn't. But look, when you have a pick six to beat Dallas and you have a strip sack fumble of Josh Dobbs to win the AFC South, I bet a lot of us became Rayshon Jenkins fans pretty quickly. But there is no denying the Jaguars secondary at times was not good this year. At times, the entire defense was not good this year. And do you want to think about upgrading a position like that? I will tell you that ESPN.com did a top 50 free agent list earlier this week. You know, we're talking about Jawan Taylor and Evan Ingram and Arden Key as major guys the Jaguars need to bring back. Arden Key was ranked as the 48th best free agent on ESPN.com. Evan Ingram was ranked as the 28th best free agent. Jawan Taylor was ranked at number 14. So just because we think they're top priorities here in Jacksonville nationally, maybe they're not top priorities, although I would say Jawan Taylor will get big money on the open market somewhere. But something to think about, CBS Sports says, cut Rayshon Jenkins, bring in Jesse Bates from Cincinnati. Not saying I agree with it. I'm just simply throwing it out there at you, the Jaguar fan. 
And you tell me what you think on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures at 641-1010. Again, it is a final for the River City Rumble tonight. UNF, a double-digit victory over JU. Again, congratulations to my alma mater, head coach Matthew Driscoll, and the Ospreys. They take round one of the River City Rumble tonight as they defeat the Jacksonville University Dolphins. Coming up in about 20 minutes, we'll go to New York. Andy Vasquez of the Star Ledger. Nate Hackett, now a member of the New York Jets as the offensive coordinator. His relationship with Aaron Rodgers is well documented. Does that mean Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets? Something to think about. We'll talk to Andy Vasquez up in New York about that in about 20 minutes. Coming up next, let's go to the state capitol. Florida State, their football schedule was released earlier this week. Let's take a look at that schedule. Let's take an early, early look at the season and a quick preview of spring ball that starts in about a month. We'll do that with Kurt Weiler of the Osceola. That's next. Hacker After Dark rolls on on a Thursday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Earlier this week, there was a schedule that came out in the Atlantic Coast Conference. We already knew the opponents. Now we know when Florida State will play said opponents. And boy, with all the returning players from last year's 10-win team, there are a lot of expectations in Tallahassee, Florida. With that, let's go to the state capital, Kurt Weiler, the Osceola. That is the Rivals website covering the Florida State Seminoles. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Kurt, it's been a little while, man. How are you? I am uh, I'm good. I'm trying to remember. Where I, it might have been in Orlando the last time we talked, leading up to the Cheez-It Bowl, I think. Yeah, I think it was before the bowl game. And look, Florida State won a hard-fought game there to get to their 10th win of the season. And then I guess everybody has decided to come back. I mean, can you uh, put into context, Kurt, the amount of, I guess, good fortune it is that – all of these guys are bought in, and 90% of the guys that had a decision to make decided to come back to Tallahassee for 2023. Yeah, it's a it's a big deal from a, I mean, it definitely feels like a season where Florida State's uh, kind of pushing its, pushing its chips into the middle of the table a little bit, kind of maybe not going all in, but committing to trying to kind of make a ACC title, maybe playoff-ish run. And I mean, yeah, it, there's a nature of good fortune to it. I think there's also a nature of A, the more guys do that, the more it's going to kind of become a, a ripple effect of more guys being like, well, look at the kind of season that we could have, especially if I come back too. I, and I also think, I mean, that's a testament to the culture that, that Mike Norvell has created. It took a little while to find the success, but the uh, the work he's done building the culture, I think, has made it where uh, that, that guys are, are more motivated to be around. And I think it also bears mentioning I think it helps in the NIL era that uh, guys can get can get some form of reimbursement, especially guys who aren't kind of surefire NFL players who who may not get drafted and may kind of be in the undrafted free agent range if they were going. You know, let's kind of take it from the top, Kurt. I was convinced back in the day that Andre Hastings and Heinz Ward were at the University of Georgia for a decade apiece. And I'm even more convinced now that Jordan Travis – might have been in Tallahassee for the last 15 years. The fact that he is coming back again, I mean, it's unbelievable what he's already meant to that school and the fact that he's going to do it all over again in his final year of eligibility. What's been the reaction to Jordan coming back this season? 
I mean, you, you, you mentioned it. Uh, you, you, the, the, the Heisman campaign has already began. I think the night after I'm trying to remember, was it the night? I, I don't remember. Was it what night it was? If it might've been the night after the Heisman, honestly, that the, uh, the Jordan Travis kind of website Heisman website launched. And I mean, it's, there's no doubt it's that potential type of season. I think, uh, he almost was hurt in some ways from a statistical standpoint from, especially down the stretch, he didn't play a ton of second halves or third quarters in that run of games where Florida state was a uh, blowing out team after team. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it could be that type of season for him. I think he fits the mold from uh, how he's grown as a passer, how he mixes as a runner. I mean, he's capable as both. I think he's the only player in FSU history who's in the all time top 10 in passing and rushing touchdowns that even Charlie Ward, as as much of a dual threat impactful player he was is not in the top 10 of both so uh, yeah i think he i mean will 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 have a really impressive mark on the record books if he kind of comes back and has one more complete and impactful season as as much as i think we all think it can be you can watch and read kurt Weiler's terrific work at the osceola that is the rivals website covering florida state kurt jordan travis from a florida state fan perspective certainly when he got there, there were some questions. Uh, Mackenzie Milton comes in, competes for the job. There were some struggles early on. But it appears that Jordan Travis now is beloved in Seminole Nation. Is that a fair assessment? I, I think he was beloved before this past year. I think, honestly, I mean, even if you look at the 2020 season, he kind of bailed them out after a slow start against Jacksonville State to kind of get Norvell's first win and was their best quarterback, even if that wasn't a great season, when healthy. And again, in 2021, when he was healthy, he was the best quarterback. I mean, Mackenzie Milton had kind of the the great Notre Dame moment leading that comeback after Jordan got hurt. But but Mackenzie was not nearly the player he was pre-injury. That, that, the, most of the success that team had that year was when Jordan was healthy. So, yeah, I think, I mean, he was already beloved to a degree, but there's no doubt that what he did this past season, kind of getting Florida State really back on the map and to even up that even further, like you said, I mean, coming back, this is, I mean, this will be, what, five full years for him at Florida State, six in college football. He spent the first year at Louisville. And, I mean, he he is already, I think a lot of people would tell you, one of their favorite Florida State players, probably like that hasn't won a Heisman, you know? I mean, he is that type of player, and, and one more year should only add to that. And the fact that guys like Jared Verse, Johnny Wilson – also coming back, I mean, we'll begin with Jared Verse, a guy that was probably going to be a first-round pick, certainly at worst a high-to-mid-second-round pick, and the fact that he comes back uh, for some unfinished business there in Tallahassee, what a boost to that Seminole defense. No doubt, and I think, I mean, it, it's I think he stands more to gain by coming back than like a Jermaine Johnson who couldn't have come back, but he was kind of the one-and-done, and Jared is now, I guess, going to be a probably a two and done, but I think Jared has areas he can improve. No doubt. I think he can grow as a run stopper. I think he can even be a more impactful pass rusher. I'm fascinated to see. I mean, I think he was never really a hundred percent again after he got hurt earlier in the season. So, I mean, to see the season he had, despite, despite maybe not even being himself, I think another year of development, I mean, he could, he's a guy who I could absolutely see kind of the bet on himself paying off and playing his way into being, I mean, a, a top 10, top 15-ish type pick in, a, in what, the 2024 NFL draft. 
You know, and, and, and to the offensive side of the ball, Jared Verse, the defensive star, Johnny Wilson was a star on offense. Uh, just his sheer size, he is a matchup nightmare for defenses. I thought that alone might send him to the league uh, because, again, there was times last year where I didn't think his stock could get much bigger, particularly like after the Louisville game, yet he also decides to come back. What was your thought on Wilson's decision? I think it's the smart one for him because he's a guy who has that potential, but I don't think played at a high enough level. I mean, I think you remember what he did again at Oklahoma game. You remember what he did in the Louisville game. There were games where he was a little too riddled with drops and kind of never really got going. And I think that would be the problem. Obviously who moves that well at six, eight is a matchup nightmare. I think if he, uh, if his hands improve more, and I do think, I mean, from what we saw last spring to what we saw in the season, I think his catching ability improved. So if he's able to even find another level on that and be a, a more consistent option there, I mean, he's another guy who the, the, the sky could be the limit for his draft stock. And I think coming back will we'll, uh, maximize that. I mean, he gets Jordan thrown to him for another year. That doesn't hurt. A couple more for Kurt Weiler of the Osceola. Kurt, we talked about this during the year, um, and we mentioned two guys, Jared Verse. Johnny Wilson, who Mike Norvell got out of the transfer portal last season, and he's doing it again. He is just cleaned up again in the transfer portal. You look at the rankings, they're definitely in the top five, sometimes in the number one or number two spot uh, as far as what they've done in the portal over the last couple of weeks. How does it seem every year Mike Norvell there in Tallahassee gets about as good a portal class as you could ask for? I think the, the helpful thing with that, no doubt, is, I mean, once you're able to do it, have a lot of success once with the Jermaine Johnson and Kier Thomases, and then when you're able to do it again with this last crop of guys that you that you mentioned, I think, I mean, it is a lot easier to sell. And, I mean, they beat out some elite programs for some of these guys, programs like an LSU, like a Notre Dame from a kid from the Midwest, like a USC, like uh, some of the in-state rivals. I mean, it's they, they beat out some, some – I mean, top tier programs for these kids. And I think a lot of it, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with Mike Norvell. And I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, obviously the, the, pro, the success he's had, the prolific success he's had with transfers. And I think it also has to do with, I mean, how now at this point, how expectations have changed. We talked to a few guys last week and Braden Fisk, who transferred a defensive tackle transferred from Western Michigan talks about, I mean, there's a championship vibe in this building and you haven't really heard. I mean, transfers be like, I came here because I want to win a title. Cause I think the last few years, people would have been like, I don't believe you actually believe that. I think you're like, but it's believable now. I mean, but Florida state has been kind of a, a trendy playoff pick. And I think a lot of people think this will be the year where they, they could dethrone Clemson from, from the ACC. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that is even an added factor that's new is, I mean, there are, are going to be some, some real stakes and I think some real high possibilities of what can happen. I mean, they could achieve some really great things that, that this 2023 Florida State football team. Final moments here with Kurt Weiler of the Osceola. All right, Kurt, give Florida State fans here in Jacksonville one on offense, one on defense out of the portal. Who could be this year's Jermaine Johnson or Jared Verse on defense? Who could be this year's Johnny Wilson on offense out of the portal. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I, on offense, there are a few ways I could go. I mean, you could talk about Jermaine, Jer, or Jeremiah Byers, who's a, a, a UTEP, was an all-conference USA offensive tackle. is going to come and, I think, be a really important piece on the offensive line. I mean, they brought in three transfers, and they do not really have three spots open. So, like, there's going to be – that depth of that unit is going to be as good as it's been. But I think on offense, if you're talking impactful, like, like some of the other guys have been, because offensive linemen are kind of the unsung heroes, I'm going to go with Jaheen Bell. He was a, a tight end at South Carolina. I know picked South Carolina kind of over FSU back in the 2020 class. Mike Norvell is a transition class. He was Tate Rodemaker's high school teammate, who's the backup quarterback at Florida State. And uh, he is kind of a, a tight end, but he's so much more than that. He's lined up in the backfield. He can line up on the line, end of the line and be a blocker. He can line up in the slot or even out wide. And his skill set, I mean, he is a not a traditional tight end by any means. And if you watch his tape, really impressive athletically, what he can do at his size. And uh, I mean, when you look at what he did at South Carolina, I think uh, you, you start drooling a little thinking about what he can do in, in Mike Gardell's offense, kind of at a position that wasn't a weakness this year, but wasn't a, as big a strength as you might have wanted it to be. Uh, defensive side of the ball. I think uh, I, I would point out a uh, Virginia cornerback transfer, Fentrell Cypress. I think he's a guy. I think the secondary numbers were pretty good this year. I don't think the secondary was outright bad, but I do not think the Florida State secondary was as good as the numbers indicate. I think that was a benefit benefit of some of the quarterbacks they played, maybe either injured or less than 100% playing. But Fentel Cypress, I mean, had a didn't allow a touchdown last year at Virginia. Played a whole bunch. I think a, a, a true lockdown corner. That, uh, that Florida State was missing this year when, when some guys maybe didn't live up to what you thought they might be able to be. So I think uh, that addition is a big deal. And, I mean, I think uh, new, new, new defensive back coach Pat Sertain uh, doesn't hurt with that either. Kurt, final question. And we'll obviously talk as spring ball uh, approaches. We know the Garnet and Gold game scheduled for Saturday, April the 15th. But the schedule did come out this week. And I guess when I looked at it, two things jumped out. I'm curious your thoughts. Number one, how much earlier the Clemson game is than normal. I mean, Florida State has LSU and then road games to Boston College and Clemson in the first month, which is interesting. And, and the schedule as a whole, boy, a lot of the tougher games, what you consider the, quote, tougher games, are not in Tallahassee. Nothing against Florida State season ticket holders this year, but, boy, that home schedule is a little bit rough. Those were my thoughts. What are yours? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, uh, talking to some people in the FSU administration. I think there's definitely some happiness that the Florida State's coming off the season it was and that people are going to want to see this team kind of regardless of who they're playing because it is not the best home slate. You're right there. Uh, I think, I mean, so Florida State Clemson, I think we might start seeing it maybe not always this early, but I think we're going to start seeing it earlier more often because I think it's clear the ACC sees, I mean, when you look at who has kind of run the conference from Florida State, for the longest time. And then recently it's been Clemson. I think they see those as their two premier programs. And so I think uh, the idea being, I mean, now that they're in the division list format and that Florida state and Clemson can play in the ACC championship game, I think uh, you may start seeing them play earlier in the season just because that, I mean, they, they, they don't want them playing in early November and then in late November or early December in the, the ACC title game. But I think it benefits Florida state in that. I mean, It'll be, the I think, the first real big challenge on Clemson's schedule. And Clemson's introducing a new quarterback, introducing a new offensive coordinator. And Florida State has a lot of pieces returning and a lot of new pieces who've, who've played in big atmospheres and big games before. I think, I mean, 
the, the, it will, I think the 20 days between those, those, the LSU game and the Clemson game, probably the, the two like surefire ranked teams, probably top 10 ish when they play Florida state on the schedule. But uh, I think uh, it, 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 Florida state's well positioned just because of where they're at. And I think as long as they get through uh, that month, I mean, win one of the two, if they finish the month three and one, then uh, they'll be in good position to do whatever they want. Kurt Weiler of the Osceola Spring Football over in Tallahassee. About six weeks away, the Garnet and Gold game set for Saturday, April the 15th. Kurt, know you're busy this time of year, man. Thank you for the time. We'll talk again soon, my friend. Appreciate it, Ryan. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Super Bowl is set. It'll be Philadelphia. It'll be Kansas City. We got the Andy Reid Bowl and the Kelsey Brothers Bowl, and the build-up to that will be unbelievable. And then you also got a bunch of news going on on the coaching carousel, including a curious offensive coordinator hire in the AFC East that may have some interesting ramifications moving forward. Let's get into all that with Andy Vasquez of NJ.com and the Star Ledger. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Andy, how we doing? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Andy, we're good, man. Thank you for the time, and, and we'll get into the Philadelphia Eagles. I know you've been up there covering Philadelphia for NJ.com, but you're also our New York Jet guy here in Jacksonville whenever the Jaguars and the Jets get together. And uh, Nathaniel Hackett, a guy we know very well here in Jacksonville, hired on as the brand-new offensive coordinator in New York. What that means moving forward we'll get to in a moment but the hire itself, Andy, how's that being received up there in the Big Apple? Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, mixed feelings because Jets fans, you know, some of them are reasonable, some of them aren't, some of them are angry, some of them are more angry than others. I think all of them are a little angry because it's been 12 years since they've been in the playoffs. But, um, you know, there's there's the predictable kind of second-guessing because of how things went for Hackett in Denver, and, and obviously that was a disaster on all fronts. Uh, but the way I look at it is that they could have done a lot worse with this hire. They, they've got a guy who who has play calling experience, uh, who's done pretty well with with almost every quarterback he's ever been with has has had pretty solid seasons. Um, there's clearly some question marks after what happened in Denver, but um, you know th- we're in a market where there was like 14 open offensive coordinator jobs. Uh, they could have ended up with with somebody without experience, which would have made no sense then to move on from Mike Lafleur, who, who they moved on from. This is a guy who had experience. It, it puts them in a position to uh, be in a good situation if they can get a veteran quarterback in there. Again, that's no given, given how many other teams are, are going to be looking for a quarterback. But I think there's there's things to like about the hire and, and reasons to be concerned. But but given everything, given the Jets' situation, which is not the best situation out of all the jobs available given the fact that Nathaniel Hackett is going to get paid like a head coach for the next four years. So had every reason to not take this job. He could have just sat on his couch. Um, all of that kind of makes this uh, an encouraging hire, but there's, there's so many question marks and really it's going to come down to who's the quarterback for the jets this fall. And, and, and that's the answer that we don't have yet. It wasn't 10 minutes after Nathaniel Hackett got hired in New York, that people started connecting the dots with Aaron Rodgers from their time together in Green Bay. How much validity do you think there is to that at all? There's certainly validity, but I mean, because they they have a relationship, they spent time together. Does it mean the Jets are going to get Aaron Rodgers? No. I mean, 
everybody thought the Broncos were going to get Aaron Rodgers when Nathaniel Hackett was hired as the head coach there last year. How did that work out? It didn't work out. They, they got Russell Wilson and, and we know how that worked out. So, uh, you know, teams, a team could think they're going to get him. They could, Aaron Rodgers could think he's going to New York, but if the Packers don't want to let him go, he's not going anywhere. And if, um, he ends up changing his mind or gets a more appealing situation or, or the jets find a better quarterback option, which seems unlikely, but not impossible. Um, it, it's, it's so early in this, in this process that it's hard to uh, project anything. So anybody who's definitively saying that this means X has no idea what they're talking about because not even the first shoe is dropped with, with the quarterbacks. So we don't know what Tom Brady's doing. There's so many things that can happen. Um, but I think it puts the Jets in a in a more favorable position to get a veteran OC. I mean, I'm sorry, to get a veteran quarterback. And I think having an OC, you know, Michael Floor when he was here, nobody questions his his tactical knowledge. But I think, you know, the way he dealt with players kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in the locker room and and around the organization. And I think having a guy like Hackett who um, has a softer touch with that sort of stuff will help both with the guys they have and, and anybody they might want to bring in. Andy Vasquez of the Star Ledger and NJ.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Andy, along those lines, and your answer will be similar, but i got to at least ask, Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr are two other names that have at least been bantered about in New York. I mean, I would imagine all these guys you could lump into a pile, but clearly that's the type of guy the Jets probably need to bring in, right? If not Aaron Rodgers, then perhaps a Garoppolo or a Derek Carr. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a hard situation. I mean, the Jets have terrible injury luck, and then you bring in a guy like Garoppolo, and what is that going to add up to? And then Carr has not exactly dealt well with criticism, and we know how the the New York market is, and everybody's going to blame us. But it's not just us; it's the fans too. We know what criticism is like up here. So I mean, there the, the problem is when you're trying to find a quarterback who isn't on a rookie contract. There are no perfect options. Uh, you know, the best option is, is having the guy you draft be the guy, as, as we're seeing what we saw with the Chiefs, as we saw with the Bengals, um, as you're seeing with the Eagles right now. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a common thread, uh, and, and the Jets don't have that. They have to bring in a veteran. It's not going to be a perfect situation. It's going to cost them valuable cap space. They need to uh, continue building this out, um, but, but it's a situation that they're in, so – there's going to be some element of risk involved with, with anybody they bring in, be it from Tom Brady to, to Carr. Um, I think it's kind of figuring out which, how to manage that risk and which guy gives you the best chance. And I, you know, I don't know what, what the answer is to that right now, but I know that pretty much all these options are better than Zach Wilson. Yeah. I was going to ask you about Zach Wilson, Andy, does he have a future in New York or is uh, the, the clock ticking there? Oh, the clock is, is, has been ticking and I would say it's close to the end, but you know, the, the reality of the situation is uh, they can't, they're not gonna be able to trade him because he has no trade value. Um, we saw obviously what happened in that game against the Jaguars was basically a, a public and national humiliation. Um, the Jets can't bring him back as the starting quarterback to start next year. Uh, especially if they have the home game. I mean, what's that going to look like? They have to bring in someone to compete, but the idea that Zach Wilson can beat this person in a competition uh, 
is is pretty much laughable because whoever they bring in, they're going to invest a significant significant amount of financial capital into. So, but but then you look at the the situation, the quarterback situation in the NFL, and you look at the 49ers around their you know they went through four quarterbacks and and it wasn't enough. So the idea that he's never going to get another shot, I think, is just silly. Like, it maybe maybe not if the Jets draft. Or, or get a quarterback who stays completely healthy next year, but this is the Jets we're talking about. If, whoever they sign could be terrible or get hurt, and then, and then Zach Wilson is back out there early in the season. So I think he'll get another shot in a Jets uniform, but it's not going to be, uh, you know, because he he won the job back in camp or or something like that. I think it's going to be he's he'll get an opportunity because that's what happens, and is he going to capitalize or not? Andy Vasquez of the Star Ledger and NJ.com. I got a buddy that's a, a diehard Jets fan, been been that way for you know decades, and uh, he just shakes his head because, like you said, it's the life of a Jets fan, and he lives here in Jacksonville, so he has Trevor Lawrence plastered in front of his face, <laughs> particularly with the run Trevor made towards the end. Do people even talk about that in New York anymore, or they try to you know move on from that situation? I don't know they talk about it. Yeah, especially <laughs> especially with what was happening at the end of the season uh and what the Jags what Zach Wilson did against the Jags and then you know people remembering that Rams game from a couple of years ago and I think we talked about it and all the things uh you know the Jets looked like they were going 0 and 16 that year and um they did not. They won two games and I I don't know if they would have won the second game if not for what happened in that first game when one of the stupidest, most stunning wins I've ever seen against a Rams team that was vastly superior to them, and, and they should have lost by four touchdowns. And they won the game, and it cost them Trevor Lawrence. So yeah, P- Jets fans still talk about that, um, and, and I, I think you know they're kind of resigned to the fact that 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 didn't work out so well for them. It just is what it is, though. I mean, like you said, the life of a Jets fan, and um, you know, it's one of those things I, I always say, like, you are what you are until you aren't anymore. And and the Jets, you know, it doesn't mean the Jets are going to be like this forever. But until they show you differently, you kind of have to expect that this is the way that things are going to work out. And, and I, I'm, I'm not a negative person, but that's just the reality of the situation. Andy, your primary role is covering the Jets there for the Star Ledger, NJ.com. But you've been on the Philadelphia beat the last couple of weeks as they've been having just some unbelievable postseason success. I mean... They have wiped the floor with two opponents. It's unfortunate. I know you were in Philadelphia yesterday for the NFC Championship game. San Francisco, I would have loved to have seen that game if the Niners were healthy. Them's the breaks. Eagles advance in a dominating fashion. How fun is this Eagles team to cover? And, boy, Sirianni looks like he has the boys hitting on all cylinders getting ready for Super Bowl 57. Yeah, there's a – couple of things that have been really interesting about being around them first of all just to go to yesterday's game I, I think this isn't being talked enough about enough and was very interesting um, the reason that the the 49ers went through two quarterbacks yesterday was because for some reason Kyle Shanahan who has been absolutely praised you know as a great coach and rightfully so but his game plan yesterday to line up a tight end to try to block Hassan Reddick was insane and extremely costly. That's how Brock Purdy got hurt. I think it's how how, it's, how uh, Josh Johnson got hurt later in the game. Unfortunate, but um, a consequence of just treating a guy who is the best edge rusher right now in the game uh, like he's not that. And, and we saw it on the field yesterday. The Eagles handled Nick Bosa 
the 49ers had no answer for Hassan Reddick. And, uh, you know, I don't know if Shanahan was comfortable because he played four years against Reddick when he was not this kind of a player when he was with the Cardinals. Uh, I don't know what went into that decision, but it was a huge tactical error and one that the Eagles made uh, the 49ers pay for dearly. So I don't think it was just all bad luck there. It, it was, you know, partially because uh, a failure in coaching. And yeah, Sirianni is very interesting. Uh, and, and the Eagles are. They're, they're a cocky team. They're confident. They're obviously very talented. They've got everything. They've got guys that have won it there before. Young young players who, who are extremely poised and talented. It's just a really interesting mix. But they, they talk about focusing on the moment to the point where it's almost annoying. But, like, they actually – you can see, like, it's for real. You can see, like, they're not thinking ahead. They're like, how can we, you know, get through today? We know we're good, but, like, it doesn't matter if we don't do what we're supposed to do today. And I think that's kind of what gives them this grounding and confidence. And Sirianni – I mean, shoot, he has me bought into it after being there for a couple weeks because he talks <laughs> about it so much and he talks about it so convincingly that, like, I really believe this isn't, like, just some BS that they're spewing. Like, they are really just, like, not worried about this. They didn't act any different when they were in the divisional game from when they were in the NFC Championship game. And it wasn't in the locker room last night as if they had accomplished anything. Like, they know that they were excited, but they know there's more work to do. And uh, I think it's really interesting, you know, and... and useful for any coach or anybody in life how important it is to do that it, it sounds boring and it sounds silly and putting one foot ahead of the other and, and keeping your feet where you are but like it really does work and, and I think it's been really interesting for me to kind of see that and, and see how that is the focus there and, and it's how well it's working for the Eagles and also Jalen Hurts uh is just this has this competitive drive that it's hard to put into words you just know he's going to kind of grind it out and figure out a way to get it done. And you saw that in the third quarter yesterday, even though he shot it way against contact against the Giants. Um, he made a point of kind of shoving it down their throats in that in that decisive drive where they went up 28 nothing or 28 to seven. And I thought that was very impressive as well. Andy, we're out of time. So about 60 seconds left. How is Andy Reid still looked at in that city? Because obviously that'll be all the talk next week. Yeah, I think he's still respected. I mean, obviously he didn't get a Super Bowl there, but uh, assembled, helped assemble a roster with guys who are still there, by the way, like Kelsey, Jason Kelsey, and uh, I think Lane Johnson and um, and Brandon Graham. I mean, these guys were there and helped the Eagles win a Super Bowl, and they were there because of Andy Reid. So I think there's immense respect for Reid, um, and also um, the, they really want to beat him because, you know, it will kind of prove that that you know he started it there, but he didn't finish it there, and, and that they're kind of better off now, even though he's not there. So not the storybook ending, but I think yeah, they they respect him, but they definitely want to beat him. Andy Vasquez of the Star Ledger and NJ.com. Andy, enjoy a couple of days at home. I hear you've been on like a a world tour with the Jets <laughs> and the Eagles uh, as of late. We certainly appreciate the time. Know you're very busy. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, I'll I'll be sleeping a little bit this week. Thanks for the time and and. Uh, Take care. And thank you very much to Andy Vasquez of the Star Ledger and NJ.com for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Yeah, it's interesting. Nathaniel Hackett, the former offensive coordinator here in Jacksonville, the former offensive coordinator with the Green Bay Packers, obviously a head coaching stint in Denver that he would probably like to forget about 
now with New York, and it wasn't 10 minutes after he was hired late last week till everybody connected a few dots there about he and Aaron Rodgers' relationship and could that potentially uh, get reunited, if you will. They get reunited in New York. We'll see. Uh, Green Bay appears to at least be open to the idea of trading Aaron Rodgers to an AFC team. The Jets would certainly fit that criteria, so we will have to see how all of that plays out. Well, that'll just about do it for what's been a very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. We got a lot of people to thank, including Andy Vasquez, again, of the Star Ledger. Thank you to Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City and the Kansas City Sports Network as we looked ahead to Super Bowl 57, how the Chiefs are preparing for that matchup now 10 days out. Also, Lane Swafford, the preferred walk-on to the University of Florida. Lane actually turned down a couple of Division I scholarship offers to be a preferred walk-on at Florida. Enjoyed the conversation with him tonight. And Kurt Weiler of the Osceola, that is the Rivals website, covering Florida State as we looked at the Florida State football schedule that was released earlier this week and took an early look ahead to the 2023 Seminole football season. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Friday, and we will do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green in Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.